just thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. And Lord, we just come before you. Who, who am I to speak? I mean, God, it's your word. Your word is true. It's everlasting. It was around before I got here, and it'll be here when I leave this planet. And it'll always be true. And so, God, may your word be spoken to me. Jesus, may you show up and do what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're starting off the year with a little series that I've called Looking Back and Moving Forward. And there was a picture that I put up last week. It was of a lady rowing. And it's this idea like that's how you row a boat is that you, you one way to row a boat is you, you're facing backwards. You see where you came from, but you're moving forward to where you want to go. And I think in our lives, if we want to grow, there, there, there needs to be a little bit of both because the past is important. I'm a church history major. If you didn't get one of these, um, you can raise your hand and David will make sure you get one and help you follow along. But the past is important, but we don't want to live there because the past is over. It'll never be here again. It is always, God is doing something new. And we are looking forward to move into whatever that new thing that God is doing. Um, and so today in doing that, we're going to talk about another example, um, and it's about training, training. And there's a scripture, and it's in the book, it's right up on here, it's in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it's verses 7 through 10, and it says, instead, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. You know, that's for you and me just as much as it's for anybody else. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and the life to come. It's a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, particularly those who believe or of believers. But this idea of train yourself to be godly, I would say that that's probably not very big in our culture. I don't, I don't think it's big. I don't think the idea of... of, of Training yourself and, and disciplining yourself is something that we value. I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just trying to say what, how it looks to me. We live in a world that we're like kind of microwave. We're Instapop. We're, if the popcorn doesn't come out of the microwave in two or three minutes, I don't have time for that. I'm so busy, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm so busy. I'll put toast in the toaster. And I can't, I just walk over them like, I'm done. I don't have time for this. And I push the thing up and it's just warm bread, but that's okay because I got to move. I'm saying I'm busy. There's, there's things going on. We, we want to put things in the microwave. We want to go through the fast food line. You know, even though it's probably not fast and it's probably not food, we go through there and, and we, we expect it to be quickly done and hot. And, and if we have to pull up into that extra parking space, we're like, really? You know, really, who has time for this? And we get mad, and we, we want it to go a little longer, and we sit down in a restaurant. If the lady doesn't come and ask for our drink order, and it's been a few minutes, we're, what is this? We're, we're rushing. We're busy. We, we're used to thing, seeing things be done instantly. Like, that's the world we live in. You can send a text message across the country right now. You can live stream this whole service. Like, I could pop up my phone and show you to my friend in, in Virginia or Missouri or wherever they're living. I, I could do that. We want instant. But that's not always how everything is. It's just not. 
That's why we're not maybe as healthy as we want to be. I think if all of us were asked, do you want to be healthy? Very few people would be like, no, I'd really like to have like high blood pressure and cholesterol in my heart. And I like to be about 50 pounds overweight. Like I would, that's what I'm going for. No, none of us want that. But we do that because there's a certain level of discipline it takes to be in shape or to be healthy. And I so, so your spiritual life is similar. There's something you can do. You can train yourself. Is what Paul said. That word train is a really interesting word. It means to train, to undergo discipline, to exercise naked. Like that's like the very, that went, this is caking from a Greek culture where they would do a lot of their sports naked. So this idea of exercising naked, going, we're not doing that here. It's way too cold and that would be gross. None of us want to see the other people in this room. No judgment, but none of us have time for that. But the idea that you would go out there and work yourself out and, and train yourself, Paul is taking something that was used in a sports area, and then he applies it to your spiritual life. Like, how can that be? Right? Isn't it Jesus who works in us? Like, how far can we take this train you stuff? Because isn't it Jesus? Isn't it grace? Isn't it the gospel? Yes, it is. And so we're going to unpack today. If we want to move forward, let's look through some of this training stuff. And how can we do that? And we'll try to do it quickly. Number one, your first thing you can fill out there is when we engage in spiritual activities, the Spirit can move in our hearts to reveal God's truth. When we engage in spiritual activities. For our next example, I didn't bring in a rowboat, but I brought in one of these. My friend Jason and Mandy, they, they gave one of these who are great small group leaders. This is a ski rope. So Caleb, hold that end over here. Caleb is not a boat, but pretend Caleb is a boat. And pretend I was skiing. And growing up in South Florida, I spent a lot of time on boats. Like I had a boat. That was where I learned how to pull a trailer. Um, I'd take a boat out there with my friends, and we'd um, put a tube out there or a raft or a wakeboard and go out in the bay and just drive around really fast. And the goal was, you know, at 16, 17 years old, when you go out by yourself, is you want to make people fall off really hard and hurt themselves. Like, that was always the goal, turn the boat fast and turn and make them go over waves and do it over again. And when they fall, then you laugh, and then it's your turn to go out there, and they drive the boat, and you just do that again all day. But if we take this example, um, and I thought it was one of the best examples of how spiritual disciplines and how training yourself works. If, I, if Caleb was, and Caleb, put a little tension on this right here, all right? I know you're, you're pretty strong. So if Caleb was a boat, and if he was pulling me, like, if you've ever been wakeboarding or skiing, you know you're not the one moving yourself, right? Like, are you aware that it's the boat that's pulling you? The boat is pulling the, you and moving you? You just have one responsibility. You position yourself so that it's fun. Because if you hold on, you're going to move. And it can be really fun or not so fun. And I was that guy. You know, I was like, you want to throw me off? prove it, let's go. And they'd go, the boat would go fast, and they'd throw me over a wave, and I got one hand, and I'm underwater, and it's not fun, but I'm not letting go. But nowhere in that day did I think I was moving myself through the bay, or I'm moving myself through the lake. But I learned that if you grab onto the rope, and you position yourself, and maybe bend your knees, and go the right way, 
you can allow it to be fun. You can allow yourself to move easier. You can allow yourself to have a little bit more enjoyable. And I think it's the same way with God. Like, God is the one that moves us. It's not us. He boat. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to move you. It's just how fun of a ride are you going to have? How much are you going to enjoy this thing? And I think that when you learn how to do the disciplines, you're you're positioning yourself. You're getting yourself right. You're getting yourself in the, in the way so that, that he can move you. And then the goal is, obviously, to reveal God's truth in your heart. So we'll move through. A few things I want to lay as groundwork. Number one, everything must be grounded in the grace of the gospel, of the grace of God revealed in the gospel. Everything has to be grounded in that. It is all about the gospel. You are not saved because you are awesome. I think you're all awesome people but you're saved because Jesus is awesome. That's why you're saved, because he gave his life for you. So when we talk about disciplines and exercising and training ourselves and seeing ourselves grow and controlling ourselves, it would be just as foolish as the guy who's wakeboarding to think that the boat, that he's moving himself. It is the boat who moves you. It is Jesus who saved you. It is Jesus who changes you. It is Jesus who moves inside of you. Like, that's him. It's all grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. Number two, another thing I want to put out there is that God is attracted to weakness. Like, this is just a truth. He's attracted. And, and when I say that, you know, don't, don't, don't overthink it, but there's plenty of scriptures where if you're prideful, you'll be brought low, and if you're humble, you'll be brought up. Like, God resists the proud, but give grace to the humble. If you want to be a leader, then be a servant. Wash feet. If you've got a weakness, confess it to one another and pray that you can be healed. It's this whole idea that that the weaker we admit that we are, the stronger we become. And that's just the way it works. So number one, we'll ground it in the gospel, the grace of God revealed in the gospel. Number two, God is attracted to weakness. And the third one is we have to learn the difference, and this is very important, between condemnation and conviction. These words sound very the same, same, but they work very different. Condemnation and conviction. The Holy Spirit comes to convict you. That's what God says. Convict, convince you. God will convince you whether you're right or wrong. He'll convince you whether your actions are good or bad. He'll convince you about what, what is true and what is false. He'll convince you. That's conviction. The enemy will condemn you or judge you. Jesus, that's not what he's doing. He's not condemning you. He's he's come to forgive you and to give you life and life abundantly. And what happens, I think, and this is just what I've seen, is that when you try to grow in God and you try to do disciplines and you try to say, man, I really want to be different and train myself, is that the enemy will bring condemnation. For instance, I made a, I finished reading, I read my Bible through every year. September, I was done with my Bible plan. And I made a goal. I said, man, you know what I've never done? I've never read it through twice in one year. So I'm going to read the Bible, October, November, December. I'm going to read it through again right now. I set that goal. Life kicked me in the face. All right, what did Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. All right, that's Mike Tyson. It's not Bible, but it's still true. 
So life punched me in the face. Things came up. I didn't finish the Bible. I have about two weeks left. I'll be done right about the time we end 21 days of prayer. That's what's going to happen. Conviction says, hey, you could have done a little better, you know, maybe if you would have just not goofed off as much, but hey, reading the Bible is important. Keep at it. Condemnation says, oh, you set a goal. You didn't make it. You didn't finish between December 31st. Do you really love Jesus? Do you, are you really committed? Oh, you could, have, you could have stopped doing this and read your Bible and just makes you feel like a little worm. The enemy wants to make you feel like a little worm. He wants to make you feel useless because that's how he feels. Misery loves company. He knows he's been cast out of heaven. He knows God is against him. He knows he's being condemned to destruction, and he wants you to feel just like that. I'm convinced of that. He wants you to share in what it feels like to be condemned by God. But that's not what God is destined for us who believe. God is destined forgiveness. And so I got to put those, those out there because, number one, I don't want you to think that you can do anything on your own. It's all the grace of God. Number two, I don't want you to think that you have to be strong to make it because the weaker you are, the better. And number three, I want you not to get upset if you set a goal and you try to train and it doesn't work out like you want it to. And so we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about how to pray And then we're going to talk about how to fast because we are starting today. We started 21 days of prayer fasting. We had about eight people show up this morning, and it was pretty awesome, even though it was super cold, okay? It was freezing. I told you guys, I came here at 4.30 in the morning. I kicked the air up, and it didn't do anything. And then 6.30, more people showed up, and we kicked the air up some more and got some heaters, and we prayed, and we said, God, you know, you're still God, whether it's cold in this building or not. But you know what? God's presence was there. I felt Jesus. I had my jacket on, but Jesus was here. And so we're in this. And so, but some people say, well, how do I pray? The first thing I want to say on there, and this comes from my good buddy, buddy Ken Hall. I think it's just gospel, even though Ken isn't, you know, the book God, but I think it's good. Number one, I think you need to make yourself available. Make yourself available. Right here, Paul talks to the Thessalonians and he says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of God may spread ahead and be honored as has happened among you. I want you to read this. Paul was sent out. We read last week he was sent out by the Holy Spirit. After his period of prayer and fasting, he was sent out. Like how cool would it be if the Spirit of God sent you out? Wouldn't you feel pretty confident in yourself? He gets sent out by God's Spirit. Like it's in the Scripture. Like, they wrote a chapter of Acts about this. Like, it was a big deal. He goes out and he starts churches. He sees miracles. He sees signs. He sees wonders. Like, God is showing up. God is showing off. People are believing. He's starting churches where there were never churches. But he has the humility. He knows what it is to train naked, to get humble and say, hey, pray for me. Pray for us. I know the Spirit of God sent me out. I know what I've seen. But he goes to just some regular believers, and he says, pray for us. Paul the apostle says, pray for us. 
Why do we take so long before we ask somebody to pray for us? Paul knew. He knew there was power and weakness. He knew he could do nothing apart from the Lord. And he wasn't afraid to go to people that he just saw come to Christ and said, I know you're just baby Christians, but because you're baby Christians, you have access to the Father through the blood of his Son, and your prayers are just as powerful as anything else. So pray for me. I need people like you praying for me. And I say that to you. That's why we do 21 days of prayer. Pray for me. Pray for me. Baby Christians, the Apostle Paul turning and saying, pray for us, that the word of God would spread. You see it all throughout the scripture. And then it goes the other way. Paul prays for lots of people. In all of his letters, he writes, I pray for you that your hearts would be enlightened or that you would know the breadth and the height and the depth and the width of the love of God. And Paul's always praying for people. But it's this idea that, that he would ask even baby Christians. So you may say, well, where do I start? That's where you start. Make yourself available. These were people that just became Christians in Thessalonica, and some of them had a foundation, but Paul's willing to say, hey, just bring some prayers this way. And God answered, and we can see the success of Paul. The number two point I want to put on there is be consistent. Be consistent. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For whoever asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Do you know that's, that's like the power of prayer is consistency? That's where it really starts. Of course, we pray in the name of Jesus, and of course, we come through the grace of God revealed in the gospel. And of course, we're not getting our prayers answered because we're strong, because we're weak have to go to one greater than us. And of course, that, that we're not praying out of condemnation. We're praying because we're convicted, we're convinced that God hears us and he's our father. But do you know the consistent prayers are the ones that Jesus said that he would answer? He said, ask. And if you look at the root of that word, it actually can also be keep asking. I don't know why it's set up that way, but take your eyes off yourself and put some faith in God's word. God's word says, ask, and it'll be given. Knock, and you'll find. All right? And it's a consistent thing that has to happen. You guys know sometimes you don't answer on the first text message. Sometimes it's not the first phone call. Sometimes the first voicemail. But if somebody's trying to get a hold of you and they're blowing you up on Facebook and email and text message and phone call, even you being wicked will finally say, fine, what do you want? How much more will your heavenly father hear you? I think Jesus might say it something like that today. Have you ever tried to get a hold of somebody? I'm not going to say any names. My brother-in-law, Jonathan. If there was somebody that I might think of, it might be him. How many times do I have to text you? But when you really want somebody, have you ever blown up your spouse? Like, you need, not, not, not like terrorism or anything, all right? Get your head out of the gutter. But like, you ever had to get a hold of your spouse or you're somebody important and you just call them over and over again? Or have you ever had your parents call you? I know when it's serious because my dad ate missed calls. What's the matter? No, I just wanted to check on you. Oh. And if you get a call from your parents, you know, sometimes you think bad things happen, especially when there's a bunch of them. I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, one time they called me after 9 p.m., and I thought, oh, God, no. 
But no, they were just asking something silly. They were staying up late and being goofy. But it's that idea of you stay consistent and you knock. And I want you to realize you're, you're consistently going to your father. I want you to think about that. God is your father. He calls you his child. And we're not saying, prayer is not saying that you have a better plan than God, so God better do things your way. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not saying, God, I know that you're perfect and you're sovereign, but this is a bad idea. So let me tell you how you can fix this. What prayer is saying is, God, you're my father. Could you do this for me? Like, he chose. The gospel set it up. We are born again as his children. And do you know that as a father... I can have a plan, and sometimes my kids can change it. Putting on my shoes to go running. It's really cold outside. Daddy, you want to play video games? No, I'm busy. Come on, Daddy, let's play video games. No, I'm going drunk. Daddy, let's play video games. Okay, fine. And I sit there, and I mean, this was yesterday. This is just how it happens. When, when your kids come and they ask you things, and they ask you out of love, and they they do things like that, sure, we'll play some Mario Kart. Sure, because they're my kids. It's not that their plan is better than my plan. Because they're your kids. And don't you get any ideas, and don't be annoying, asking way too many times. Sometimes you got to tell them, stop, it's enough. No, you're not eating that. You're not staying up again. But the point is, is that how many times do they get what they want just because they've asked? And God is like that. So be consistent. Make yourself available. And so every morning, we're giving you that opportunity. For 21 days, we're going to be praying here because we're crazy enough that we think that it works. And we're crazy enough to think that God will hear us. So make yourself available and be as consistent as you possibly can. There's a paper in the hallway. It gives you the times. I think there's a slide that we can put up there that has the times, but it's 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday. It's also on our website. If you go to our calendar, you can find the dates. If you forget what time is it, Saturday and Sunday, it's a little bit later, but please check that out and make yourself available. The next thing we're doing is we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. Fasting. Let me tell you what that is in the simplest way. Not eating. Don't make it any more, any less. Like, that's what fasting means. If you look up the word, it means not eating. It doesn't mean not sinning. Some people think that's what fasting is. I'm giving up pornography for the next 21 days. No. That's not, I'm saying that because that's, I'm not going to be getting drunk for the next 21 days. No. I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm just saying getting drunk, the Bible is pretty clear. Don't get drunk. I'm not smoking crack for the next 20 minutes. That's not what it is. If you look it up, it means don't eat. But how the heck are we supposed to do that? How does that work in 2018? Because, I mean, come on, eating is fun. Sometimes, you know, you go on vacation, you want to eat. It's fun. You eat and you talk about what you're going to eat next. 
So what do we do? How do we make this work? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over this. Number one, how to fast. The first step is keep your mouth closed. I don't know how to say it any clearer. And I'm not trying to be funny, but I want you to think about that. Keep your mouth closed. You read about what happened when Jesus fasted. I just want you to read this. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Wasn't one of his temptations, hey, turn this stone into bread? And didn't he say, no, but you don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word from the mouth of God. I'm looking for something more. And so as we go through fasting, like, that's really what it is. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make it funny, and I'm not trying to um, make it weird. But if we're going to look back at what did they do in Scripture, you can't tell me they did anything other than not eat. That's what they did. Well, how does that work today? I'm not sure. I know I'm going to make it work for myself. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in a second. The next point I want to say is um, this is Jesus talking about fasting. It says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So keep it to yourself. That's the next point. If you can keep your mouth closed and keep it to yourself, that's what fasting is. Now let me give you a biblical understanding of fasting in about five minutes. And if I go too fast... Just go to the podcast and listen to it over again or come ask me questions. Fasting in the Bible normally happened around the time of mourning or repentance. That's when it happened in the Bible. It was not a diet. If you ate too much in the holidays and you want a diet, maybe you should. Fasting is not a diet. It was about mourning. If you read about fasting, when did people fast? Like, if we're looking back so that we can move forward, and if we see anybody in the Bible that were like, man, these people knew God, I would like to know God. Well, what did they do? Like, because that's what I do when I read the scripture. I look back at them, but then I think about where I'm going. Well, you think about Nineveh, if you know the story of Jonah and the whale. Nineveh was the place he went to go to. God told them, hey, I'm going to destroy you. That's what Jonah went there to say. And it says, the whole nation began to fast, even the animals, for three days. They were mourning their sin. They were repenting. They were saying, ah, this is crazy. I don't want to be this way. I want to change. And so for three days, they stopped eating. Then you look at Daniel. Daniel, when he fasted, it was because he saw an incredible vision, and he had no idea what it meant. He's like, God, I do not know what this means. Another person that fasted, Daniel, was the king. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? You ever remember that story? The king didn't want to throw him in the lion's den, and the king was like, oh, my friend, I'm throwing you in a pit with lions. Not good. And he fasted all night. He was mourning. He was, he was beseeching God. David, one more example. He fasted when his son was sick. His son was so sick that he goes and he fasts and he doesn't eat food and he's mourning and he's, he's crying out for his son. Fasting does not twist God's arm. It is not hocus pocus. It is not magic. And it should only be done very, very occasionally, I think, by a New Testament believer because something has happened. See, we have something that David, Daniel, Nineveh, nobody had. We have the Spirit of God. We have, it is finished on the cross. 
So it's not like we have to fast. So why do we fast? Because it is finished, right? Like, are we going to get God to do any more, or is it finished? It's because even though it's finished, sometimes we mourn over what we could be. And this is why I'm fasting, is, is I look who God has called me to be. And I look at what God has called the church to be. In this place of love that the Bible says, or Jesus said, that there's so much love among them that they'll know that you sent me. And I look at that in the scripture, and then I look at the church, and sometimes I mourn because we don't even like each other. And I look at what the scripture says a human can be, of somebody who's saved by grace, whose mind is renewed, who knows the width and the depth and the height and the love of God. And then I look at Chris in the mirror, and I say, is that, is that who I am, God? Does your word reflect me? And then I mourn, and I say, no, God, I'm but I want to be different. Fasting is not like a hissy fit. It's not like a little kid throwing a hissy fit saying, well, I'm not going to eat God until you bless me with a car. That's not fasting. It's mourning over something, a, a desire, a longing for to see God do something. You know, a lot of times at work, I'm going to be closing up very soon, but a lot of times at work, and if you have a job, some of you guys know what this is. You ever just been too busy to eat? Has anybody else been there? Before you know it, you look up and it's the day is gone. It's time to go home. And you didn't sit there all day thinking, I'm going to skip lunch. In fact, sometimes you don't want to skip lunch. But because of the necessities of your tasks, you just get caught up. And sometimes that's what fasting is like. You're, I don't know that every fast you plan to make, but you're just like, you're hungry for God that you don't even take time to eat. You're just busy about God's business. And so with this, I would encourage you to figure out how is it going to work. For you, if you're taking medicine and you need to eat for the medicine, like don't fast. That would be dumb. God doesn't call you to do dumb stuff. My wife's pregnant. She's not fasting. That would be also dumb. She needs to eat because she has a baby growing there. Okay, if you have medical condition where you need to eat something special or you die, like, don't do that. Don't die. That's not what God is, God's not trying to kill you. He wants to give you life. How am I going to fast? I'm telling you only to instruct, to show, just to, to let you see, not to brag. First of all, if I tried to fast three whole weeks, I would be a very angry man. So I'm not going to fast for three whole weeks without eating because that would make me angry. And by next Sunday, I'd just be letting it off. I'd be letting it fly. Nobody ever come back. People would be throwing stuff at me, and they'd be like, this guy is crazy. That would not be good. But I am going to fast every other day. Now, the way I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to tell you, is I'll, starting tonight, I'll skip a meal for dinner. Tomorrow morning, I'll skip breakfast and lunch, and I'll eat Monday night. And then repeat. So I'm skipping dinner, the next two breakfast and lunch, eat, 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 skip, skip, skip. That's how I'm doing it because that works for me because I can do that and be happy about life. I can do that and feel close to Jesus. I can do that and not just sit around thinking about food all the time because that's not the purpose of a fast. One time I did a whole fast where I didn't eat anything for a good long while. And about four days into it, do you know all I was thinking about? Food. 
It was just like hours and upon hours of watching the clock. In fact, when the fast broke at midnight, I already had food laid out. And I was just watching that very slow clock, and there was food laid out all over the counters of cake and ice cream and tomatoes and this and that and cookies and pizza. And I was just like, all right, 11.58. All right, two more minutes. And then I got done with that, and I said, that's not God. I didn't think that was God. God didn't want me just to be sitting around for three days thinking about food. So don't do that. But then I've done another fast where I did for a whole year, one day a week, just like I told you, where I'd skip dinner and the next breakfast and lunch. And man, something happened to me that year. I just dedicated that lunch period to God. I went away. I got with the Lord. And I'm healthy enough. I don't have medicine that I'm taking. Like that whole year of once a week, that was powerful. But at no point was I sitting around thinking about, I really want to eat. So I say that to say that's what we're doing because we believe, I believe that our church could be so much more and there's sometimes that I mourn. Not because I'm not grateful. I am grateful, but I look at the scripture and I, think, I see what could God do here. So if you want to pray for us for this church, and I look at this community, I think this is a pretty awesome community. But sometimes I look around and I mourn. Wasn't there a young man who just passed away? Wasn't there a suicide in our town not too far away from here? And so sometimes I look around and I mourn. And so as we start off the year, we we're rejoice and we're glad for what Jesus did. But if you've ever had a little bit of mourning and saying, there could be so much more, I could be different. Figure out how it works for you. Join us for prayer. Join us for fasting. Um, not to make a too big of a deal about it, but I just want you to let you know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because I believe that Jesus is real. And I believe he's the only answer for this community. He's the only answer for Chris. Chris needs some Jesus in his life. And so over these next 21 days, uh, Chris wants to be changed. Chris wants to be different. I don't want to be the same person that ends this year that started it. Would you just bow your head just for a second? Just like I started off with the illustration of, of the water skiing, you can't change yourself. Only the gospel does that. Only Jesus does that. Only the Spirit of God does that. But I think you can position yourself. You can... You can pray, you can read your Bible, you can, you can fast if that's what God's called you to do. And if you do it in faith, if you do it in faith, I believe God uses that. So we're coming into a period of 21 days, and maybe you, you just walked in today and you haven't been around for a while, and, and you're kind of thinking, whoa, this sounds crazy. Well, kind of is. I mean, this God stuff is nuts thinking that God loved us so much that he sent his only son here to die for us on a cross and that his blood will cover our sins. Like, I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that that's the only thing that this world needs is Jesus. But if you're looking at your life and you say, I would like to be different over the next 21 days, I would like to train myself and I would like God to f work in me, to fix me, to heal me, to grow me, to make me different.
If that's you, would you just put your hand up where, wherever you're at? If you could say, you know, I would like to be different. Over the next 21 days, I'd like God to change me. I, it doesn't matter what you need changing. We all need something. And there's a bunch of you guys that are not afraid to be weak and say, hey, I, I would like to be different. God, you saw every hand. I pray you'd answer their cry, God. Jesus, it is your gospel that saves us. Holy Spirit, you're what fills us and renews us and restores us. Heavenly Father, you're the one who calls us children. I pray over these next 21 days that this church would be different, that my life would be different, that everyone that put their hand up, that that your spirit would move in us, that you would restore and renew, and that we would be pulled forward by your grace and by your love. That which we can't do on our own, that you would do it in us. We just ask God for your will to be done and your kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen.